Um, Our reading tonight is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. This is a wonderful part of scripture. It's about two mountains. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, to gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to the voice speaking words to those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Amen. Thank you, Barbara, for reading that so well. Thank you, Andrew, for your prayers. They tie in rather well with some of my message, you'll be glad to know. It's just how God works. Now, I wonder how familiar you are with a world-famous statue. Uh, let me just try and do it for you. <laughs> just over this side, if you can't see it. A world-famous statue. Does anyone know the name? Very good, the thinker. The point is, what was he thinking about? People have speculated about this. Was he thinking about the cosmos, the the formation of the universe, some huge, great plan like that? Was he thinking of some mathematical Pythagoras problem that he was wrestling with? Was he thinking of something that he just concerned on his own mind. When you look at the statue, you'll find that every sinew of his body was actually involved in this. If you look at it closely, he's stretched. Every muscle is contorted with the effort of his thought. It was done by Rodin, Augustus Rodin, in 1890, and was cast into a bronze. And you can see it now in the Rodin Museum by the River Seine in Paris. I'm sure we wonder what he was thinking. If you ask Rodin, he'll tell you. It was about the plight of men and women who had been sent to hell. The plight of men and women that had been sent to hell. It's a sobering thought that without Jesus, that's where we're all going to end up. We're continuing with our series in Hebrews, and we're now approaching the end of the letter. Two weeks ago, David brilliantly explained to us how God disciplines us, how God is holy, 
and how we must seek to live holy lives. The author had been encouraging the Hebrew people in Rome to stick with their faith in Jesus and not to return to their old covenant of trying to follow the law. So let's pray as we look into this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this letter to the Hebrews so that we may read it, study it, and draw closer to you. Help us now as we look into your word, and through your Holy Spirit, guide us to follow the path of Jesus in our lives. Amen. Well, this passage, verses 18 to 24, depicts two gatherings of God's people. And they're standing before two very different mountains. The author summarizes that although God has not altered in any way from the beginning of time to when we reach these mountains, the method in which his people can approach him has now changed. This evening's verses are a comparison between God's people who lived under the law and those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. He uses the picture of two mountains, two very different mountains, In the Bible, many major events take place in the mountains. Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. Moses, mentioned here, the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai. The Transfiguration of Christ on Mount Tabor. Elijah and the Far from Heaven on Mount Carmel. Only two years ago, I had the privilege of sitting up there while we read that passage. It's an amazing thought that although that event took place 3,000 years ago, that mountain is still there. The view is still the same. You can see across the valley from where Elijah stood on the mountain. Mountains are majestic, awesome, magnificent. They often inspire people to climb them, to ski on them, walk beside them. They're so vast and impressive and we are so small and tiny next to them. They also have a sense of permanence about them, an eternal quality. And it's hardly surprising, therefore, that they're recorded in the Bible, many events. Just to get us in the mood, I'd like to recount a story that I hope will illustrate what people felt like when standing beside this first mountain before the arrival of Jesus. About five years ago, my son James and I went on a 10-day High Alps walking holiday. We set off each morning from our valley accommodation. We climb up 3,000 feet, walk along the ridge, and then down into the next valley to descend there and stay the night, and we'd repeat the process. It was exhilarating stuff. Day four, my legs were complaining a bit, but we set off up the first 3,000 feet, And then our guidebook, which we were following, told us to continue up to the summit of Mount Grenier, standing at 6,500 feet. And that's what James is pointing to. Well, we carried on, and about two hours later, as we ascended our path, it began to shrink from a reasonable size down to a goat track. It was about 12 inches wide, sitting precariously on the side of a 45-degree slope and it was zigzagging its way upwards, ever ever higher. I hit a dizzy wall. 
leaning against the slope, trying not to focus on the 1,000-foot drop that was down below me, I called to my son, James, I don't think I can do this. James, I'm all in. You go on. The ground was spinning before my eyes. My confidence was at rock bottom. My son, who is now a couple of zigzags ahead of me, he called down, you'll be okay, Dad. Have a rest for a while. But I just clang onto the mountain in trepidation and fear. This is what it must have felt like trying to approach our Heavenly Father before the coming of our mediator, Jesus Christ. People were terrified to approach God. Verses 18 to 21 explain that in the days of Moses, the presence of God was so frightening that people kept away from him. When God met with Moses on Mount Sinai, any person or animal who stepped near the foot of the mountain had to be put to death. For those watching from a distance, the mountain of the law was simply terrifying. Although Moses was on the mountain by God's command, everybody else was told to stay away because of the holiness of God. That would consume them if they got near. Moses himself was afraid by his encounter, and it's all recorded in Deuteronomy chapters 4 and 9. Okay, so we've got our first group of God's people. They're trusting in the Lord, but also standing in terror of judgment, punishment, and banishment from his holy presence. You see, obeying the law was pretty much impossible. So the prospect of salvation looked remote. Likewise today, as we try, without Jesus, to do our own thing in life, if we don't have Jesus, we hope that when we're judged, there'll be enough good. But you see, God has no sin. None at all. He's totally holy. There's no way of obeying the law. The author, writing in Hebrews, wanted to warn the Jewish people in Rome what they would be returning to if they gave up on Jesus. And we too can find ourselves clinging to a mountain in fear, not knowing where to turn if we fail to have Jesus in our lives. But he encouraged them. See, look, the beginning of verse 18. He says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning, i.e., the old covenant. The wonder of this passage, he then takes you straight down to verse 22. So you have not come to the mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion. The new covenant. By following Jesus, by repenting of our sin, and asking him into our lives, our own eyes and hearts are opened. The fear and terror is replaced by trust and grace. Now we, as Jesus' followers, have a new mountain to stand in front of. The awesome holiness of God, revealed in the Old Testament, which demanded that sinful people could not approach him, has been replaced by an amazing joy since the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Mount Zion 
the center point of worship in Jerusalem, is now the name for a heavenly city. It's still the center of worship, but now it's cosmic, not geographical. It's the new home for every believer in Jesus. And he's drawn them to Father God with sins forgiven, finally reconciled by the blood of Christ. It's the church universal. Both the believers who are now alive and those who have died in faith. It is to that great company that we now belong, where many angels rejoice in the salvation of millions of people who have repented and trusted Jesus Christ as their saviour. They mention the angels in verse 22. Those people are the church of Jesus Christ. See, their names are written in heaven. Verse 23. Brothers and sisters, if you have asked Jesus into your life, your names are written, written in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Their place is reserved and prepared for by Jesus. Although he is the awesome judge, we are commanded to approach him with great joy and without terror. Hebrews 4 tells us that, verse 16. It's no wonder, therefore, that all those who trust in Jesus have a great and joyful expectation about the future. What is to come is truly glorious. Whilst we wait for that day, the present is also glorious. Heaven is prepared for us. Our names are written there. We are no longer kept apart, but we are drawn close to God through Jesus. What a wonderful mountain to stand before. He has chosen to include us in his kingdom now and to secure us with him for all eternity. What great joy, my brothers and sisters, if you've asked Jesus into your life. What great joy that you'll be written in his book. Returning to Mount Grainier for a moment, I was still clinging to the hillside like a limpet when above my head, from the zigzag path, came a few stones and the sight of some feet belonging to two children, aged six and eight, plus their parents and a small dog. They proceeded to happily skip past my form against the side of the mountain, greeting with me, bonjour, ça va, and they carried on their way. The red mist cleared and I thought, well, if they can get to the top, surely I can. What was I worried about? I think that is how many of us are before we see who Jesus really is. We're lost, we're stuck in our ways, and we're fearful. By following Jesus, by repenting and asking him into our lives, our eyes are opened, fear goes away, to be replaced by trust in the Lord so that we too might stand before this wonderful mountain without fear. I'd like to ask if anyone is sitting here this evening still fearful of walking with Jesus, do you know now is the time to join up with his kingdom by repenting, saying sorry, and just asking Jesus into your life? You too can then be part 
of this wonderful kingdom, you too can stand at the Mount of Zion. You too can have your name written in the book. I mean, what wonderful. I wonder who does the writing. Can you imagine how beautiful that writing must be to see your name written in this book? It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Just going back to that thinking statue again, the Rodin, so beautifully constructed. In fact, there's been 19 more castings of that bronze, and they're around the world. And I'm sure wherever they're placed, people don't realize what he's thinking about. But you know, you and I should be thinking that every day. You and I should be thinking the plight of people who don't know Jesus. It's an eternal plight. It's not a transient plight. It's a big issue. And that's what makes us meet and want to have open weekends and get together and encourage our friends. We, we just want to give them like a giant bowl of strawberries and say, this is Jesus. Eat some, have some. But they walk away. They don't want to hear sometimes. So we have to work and persuade hard. And this lovely picture that we're getting from Hebrews, he wants to persuade the Jewish people, the Hebrews who were in Rome. They were facing severe persecution. They were frightened, and they were being tempted to revert to the old covenant of returning to their synagogues. But he's pointing out this wonderful mountain that you stand before, which really is Jesus Christ. And he's saying, come on. Stick with Jesus. You've got a winner here. Heavenly Father, we give thanks and praise for this encouraging passage in Hebrews. May we put all our trust in your son Jesus. May we be lifelong members of your church. May our names be written in heaven. We realize that nothing we do, think or say, can earn us that place. Only our faith and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, the one and only true Saviour. Guide us and be with us this coming week, this coming month, this coming year, and for the rest of our lives, that we may walk with your Son, Jesus, in all that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.